making no progress. You look different. That's what because I think it's just because I've been in the garden today and stuff's been falling on my hair and I just probably look a bit kind of scruffy and I need a haircut. No, it looks uh, like you're a pop star. You've got pop star hair. Really? And you've got a nice tan. This, was, well. this is what happens when I don't cut my hair for months on end, though. It needs to be cut. I don't I mean, I don't particularly like it. Not that I'm, like, vain or anything. Mm. Um, but I'll, I'll take that as a compliment, by the way. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's all right. It's all right. What a start. White. White. Uh, yeah, so um, watched anything more recently? I made a list. I don't normally do this because mm. I sometimes forget. So I have seen The Little Mermaid. Yeah. On my own. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Was that for your magazine? That's the magazine review. Because it was only a week or two before that, I had to go and see, was it um, Margaret, dear God? Are you are there, you there God? Margaret? Exactly. No, so are I, you there, God? <laughs> are you there, God? So I followed that up with watching The Little Mermaid on my own. It looked fantastic. Yeah. That was an interesting one because there were times in the film, obviously lots of it's underwater, so you've got some darker scenes in there. And I spotted this weird blue dirty kind of film stuff on almost like it was on the screen and i soon realized actually it Mm. is the screen the screen was dirty and from that moment onwards that's all i could think about (laughs) when it was those scenes right and so yeah transpires that they did have an issue with the screen which had been reported by a few other people had watched like horror films recently because obviously loads of dark stuff in that so yeah Fair play to him. Manager gave me a credit to come back. That's sad. Did you get any money back? I did, but and I, was, I walked off thinking, oh, you know, fair play. That's really good. You know, he was a nice guy and um, he said it had been brought up before, like I said, and I got the credit. But then it was like the next day I was thinking, well, that is great. But then it's also not that great because they know there's a problem for the screen, which they, which apparently has been like it for quite a while. It's one particular screen in the cinema. And they've got to just wait for someone to fix it. And it's been taking a while, apparently. But they're kind of allowing people, you know, they're, they're, it's not... It's to not, watch it. Yeah, they're still charging Ruined people. Ruined your to experience with The Little Mermaid, Rob. I know. <laughs> Do you know what? Thank, thank God. Thank God it was only The Little Mermaid. Otherwise, I would have been quite angry if it was. Uh... Anyway, so Little Mermaid, yeah, that was okay. You know, it does what it says on the tin. But the mm-hmm. main star in it, I can't remember her name, Hayley Bailey, is it? I can't remember. But um, Or Halle Bailey, but she's great in it. That's about it, really. The rest of it's a bit kind of tosh, but she was very good. Would the kids like it, though? The kids will. Think of your daughter. Would your daughter like yeah, it? Yeah, well, like I it? don't know. I don't know how it would rank amongst other films they watch. It was a very typically earnest film with lots Mm. of kind of heart and great morals, all the stuff you'd expect. And then they had Melissa McCarthy in there playing Ursula the Witch in a completely over-the-top pantomime way, which I actually thought was tonally, I just thought it seemed completely wrong for the rest of the film. But... Anyway, that's just me. So The Covenant, Guy Ritchie, at long last, Guy Ritchie does a kind of a grown-up... Mm, I watched it too. ...kind of drama, and I really liked it. I thought it was mm. really good. And uh, I just it just made me realise as well, it stars Jake Gyllenhaal, just how brilliant he is. Like, well, He's got to be one of the best actors of his generation. Do you not think? He, he, he rarely... He rarely gives a like a bad performance in stuff. I think just Jake mm. Gyllenhaal. 
Yeah, that's good. It's on Amazon Prime, isn't it? Exactly. So I, I, I thought that was just so refreshing. And yeah. it's about the Afghanistan war and uh, how this local interpreter sort of risks his life to carry his sergeant, which is Gillinghall, across the desert, whilst they're also being chased and followed by the Taliban. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of, I like the fact that it was such a simple concept, yeah. but it equally had that real life backdrop. You know, you learn a little bit at the end of the film, don't you, about yeah. the True issues. to life, wasn't True it? True to yeah, life yeah. and all these interpreters for you. So that was great. It's scary to think that at the same time, that if that was, if that was real life. Oh, I know. Unbelievable. And then I got two on the go at the moment. One is Tetris, which I know right. is a the film that you'd seen. I said yeah. it because I recently got Apple Plus and I saw that. So I'm kind of halfway through that. And then I'm also about halfway through Extraction 2, which I was watching with my son. Okay, yeah. Uh, Extraction 2, I'd, yeah, I'd like to watch that actually. So that's got Chris Hemsworth. That's the one, yeah. Yeah. It's quite incredible. There, there are scenes, action scenes in that, that that literally go on for 20 minutes. Like literally, it's like watching, you know, you get the kind of set pieces, action sequences in films that maybe last like five minutes and then the drama picks up. These mm. just go on like for 20 minutes, nonstop. And the choreography and the camera work is pretty incredible. Sounds good. Yeah, I did That's see the good. first one, and yeah, they're, they're just non-stop action. It's good fun. That's about it for me. Yeah, and then I've got a couple of TV series. I've, we've binge-watched Rabbit Hole, which is on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, it's got Keith Sutherland and Charles Dance in a spy thriller. Uh, what I love about it is that it's got so many twists and turns, and, you know, we see Keith Sutherland again in that spy, spy-esque kind of drama, really, which he does so well. So I've completed Ted Lasso which was very sad. I think that might be the end of Ted Lasso now. Not himself, but the series. And then uh, Bridgerton, Queen Charlotte, uh, both of those uh, series are very, very good. So I can see in both of those. And there is a Bridgerton next story coming up with Penelope and Colin, which are the younger pair in previous series. And I think it's coming out in autumn. Lovely jubbly. So should we crack on to the quiz? The quiz. Go on the then. You, you, I wasn't very good at this last time, but you can test me this week. Maybe I'm a bit more switched on. Let's see. Shall we see? Well, <laughs> I mean, because one of the films we're reviewing this week is Young Guns, uh-huh. I decided to go for a Brat Pack theme for the quiz. Oh, good. Yeah. I have high hopes. I think you'll do very well. Okay. Here we go. In the movie Platoon, yeah. Charlie Sheen portrayed a young soldier named Chris Taylor. Which renowned filmmaker directed this critically acclaimed war film? Um, Which we reviewed. Oh, it is Oliver Stone. Yes, yes, well done. Okay, Emilio Estevez starred Mm -hmm. as the lead character, Andrew Clarke, in which 1985 coming-of-age film directed by John Hughes? John Hughes. That must be The Breakfast Club, is it? It is. Yay. <laughs> two out of two. I know my brat pack, obviously. This is all going to, I always say that on the second one and then I go, it goes horribly wrong. Okay. Which villainous character did Kiefer Sutherland voice in The Lion King? Was he in The Lion King? I don't recall him being in The Lion King. Oh, I don't know. Czar or Qatar or whatever his name is. Scar. Scar. But Scar was, was um, 
Must be the second one, is it? It is, you're right, because it, it was yeah. Jeremy Irons was the yeah, first one. Yeah, I was about one. to say Jeremy Irons. Okay, was thank the first God. One. Would you have got it? Would you have got it even if it the was second just... second one, no. Yeah. Okay, thank God for that. <laughs> right, okay. Name one other film that stars... I mean, sorry, this is in reference to Young Guns. Name mm. one other film that stars both Kiefer Sutherland and Charlie Sheen. Kiefer Sutherland and Charlie Sheen. That's, this is a toughie. It is. If you said it, it was Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez, that might have been a bit easier. Uh, Keith Sutherland and Charlie Sheen. Probably some war thing. Uh, or Musketeers. Was it the Three Musketeers? It is the Three Musketeers. Yeah, I thought I would have you on that. I would never have got that. Oh, wow. Okay. Last question then. Mm-hmm. Emilio Estevez... <laughs> was one mm. member of the 1983 Brat Pack coming-of-age movie, The Outsiders. Mm. Name me two of the other stars in the movie. I think it was Charlie Sheen and, um, Charlie Sheen and Keith Sutherland, weren't they, in it? Was River Phoenix in The Outsiders? I think he was. I want to say Corey Feldman. Those two, are they in it? No. You could have had... I'm going to get confused. Maybe I'm looking think... at the searches. Am I thinking of something else? You might well film. be doing, because it's Patrick Swayze, Tom Cruise, uh, Matt Dillon, the karate, right. the karate it's, Yeah, Ra- Ralph, Ralph Bacheo, That's whatever the one. his name is. That's the yeah. one. There you go. So, three out of five. I mean, the outside... Thinking of the is, searches, I think. kind of considered a Brat Pack movie, but it actually came probably before, like, all the Breakfast Club stuff. Anyway, there you go. Pretty I was quite good. young in those days. <laughs> I, I I don't even remember. I've got to be honest. I don't even no. remember the outsiders myself. No. No. So shall we crack on then with young guns as our young gun, young young, young guns, guns, young guns, young guns. <laughs> it's like saying soft finger instead of say salt and vinegar at the chippy. Just like that. <laughs> that came from no, no, no. When um, I was at uni, that's what our chippy guy used to say. It sounded like soft finger. But it was salt and vinegar. And one day I, I just agreed and he said, hold out your finger. <laughs> so he knew people said it, knew that. So oh my gosh. bonkers. Anyway, um, Young Guns released in January 1989, rated 18, which I actually think is a bit high for, for what I watched. Agreed. And it said, yep, during the Brat Pack era with Emilio Estevez, Keith Sutherland, Lou Diamond Phillips, who looks absolutely gorgeous in this. I've got Charlie Sheen as well, almost unrecognisable Dermot Mulrooney, who's better known for the love, being the love interest in The Family Stone and My Best Friend's Wedding. And you've got Casey Sumisco. He's been in uh, with Keith Sutherland two years before in Stand By Me as well, but not as much uh, notable films afterwards. The story follows a group of young gunslingers called The Regulators, led by Billy the Kid back in 1878. Billy the Kid is played by Estevez, who uh, wants to avenge for the murder of John Tunstall, who's a rancher and became their teacher and, and father figure to them. Billy is hugely immature. He's wild and he gets the group and cowboys into trouble along the way. I'm going to be honest, but this, this film kind of plods a little bit at times, especially when you see them up to mischief discovering more about themselves. 
However, there is some some light and some heart, especially with Doc Sherlock, played by Sutherland, as he has his romantic moments with Yen Sun, their sort of enemy's uh, companion. Um, not a mistress, as far as I could see. I think she's just a companion. There are some funny parts, um, and there's just boys up to mischief. But there also is some sure bravery um, on occasions, too. They've tried to modernise the Western by bringing in 80s, almost Lost Boys-esque score, I would say. Uh, I was trying to look up whether the score was done by the same musicians or not but I guess it's, it's a little bit like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid when they had that bike scene with Etta and Butch and when they had that bike ride and then the 60s music sort of kicks in and you lose that sort of western feel really anyway I've meandered a few times Rob what did you think well the first thing that struck me was just what you're talking about there because I think it happened quite early on in the film the rock music yeah. comes in Miami Vice. Yeah, I, it really <laughs> threw me. I was, I was like, "What is this? I don't, I don't remember this." Which I actually thought. I got to be honest. I actually found quite cheesy, even mm. though it's a film of its time. It completely threw me. Really. I mean, what I liked about it was I thought Emilio Estevez was really good in it. Him in that kind of role, I think, is what he does best. You know, slightly unhinged. You never really knew what he was going to do next. And in some ways, that certificate of the 18 might come down to a lot of the scenes he was in because he was quite, he would just suddenly flip, wouldn't he? Or he yeah, would suddenly, he would, slinging yeah, he would, as well, he would suddenly he? kill people and you just weren't really realizing it and at quite short range or whatever. And there was some quite graphic scenes where he does that and kind of mm. you see blood splatter mm. over, I think it's uh, Kiefer Sullivan's uh, character's face. So so that's probably why it got its 18 certificate, because I think I kind of agree that apart from literally maybe just that, it didn't feel like an 18 to me. It felt like yeah. a 15 at most. What did I like about it? Yeah, I liked obviously to see those three together. And in terms of a Brat Pack movie, I mean, was Lou Diamond Phillips part of the Brat Pack or were you just really, really talking about Charlie yeah. Sheen, Sutherland and, and Estevez, I'm, I'm assuming? Yeah. Yep. yeah, seeing those three together was great. Yeah, like I say, I was drawn to Billy the Kid, Emilio Estevez's character. I was quite surprised that Kiefer Sutherland's character was a bit more kind of responsible, wasn't he? Wanting to, to toe the line, he was, because obviously they're playing these regulator characters, so, you know, he wasn't really one for wanting to go around shoot people once they got those roles and Charlie Sheen seemed to be the leader really didn't he but he was the one that was challenged by eventually Billy the Kid as he was known I gotta be honest I didn't find it as engaging as I thought I Mm. was you used the word plodded and I found that myself I was expecting just I don't know what I was just expecting something a bit more so yeah I mean really just just from an expectation point of view I I, I found myself losing interest slightly Uh, I think if there wasn't that slightly lighter piece with Sutherland and the girl I'm not quite sure whether it would have like kept my attention for as long as it did Um, I was surprised to see Terence Stamp in it I forgot he was in it and he had such a proper English I mean obviously he's from England and he's almost like an aristocrat type character wasn't he but he was so English I found Mm -hmm. it quite interesting how he just seemed so proper that these outlaws if you like you know ended up seeing him as this father figure I don't know you just naturally just thought these outlaws probably wouldn't even really have a father figure just by nature of who they are and what they do but I thought thought that was quite an interesting notion 
Yeah, I think that's that's probably about it. I, I didn't really feel like there was too much I took away from the film. I enjoyed it. I think I mentioned um, Bon Jovi uh, when we first brought this up. I think that features in the second one, doesn't it? Blaze of Glory, Young Guns 2. I mean, I'd be interested to see whether Young Guns 2 is better mm-hmm. or in terms of whether I'd find it more enjoyable than the first one. I think... I probably would have preferred this film, maybe, if the whole slant was more inside the head of Emilio Estevez's character, Billy the Kid. His twisted head. Yeah, his twisted head. Mm. Because those are probably the scenes that I was most captivated by, where it's like, oh my God, Mm. what's he going to do next? They didn't know. And how he slowly just took the reins of that gang. Whereas obviously when he starts off, he's this diminutive little character that they almost take the mick out of when he first enters. But then that, you know, obviously, which has been a different film, probably more about Billy the Kid. But those are the bits I was most interested in. That'd be quite a good film, actually. Rewind Young Guns, maybe we should call it. Yeah. (laughs) Inside the mind of Billy the Kid. Yeah, so I was looking at what they're doing now. Obviously, Keith Sutherland's, you know, is very... Much got a successful career still. Um, he went on to do Young Guns 2 in 1990 and the same year he did Flatliners as well. And, he, you know, that was his purple patch. And then he started doing voiceovers with Phone Booth in 2002, did a couple of TV series, a couple of computer games like uh, Call of Duty. Um, and TV really became his focus. Maybe it's because he also, during the, the film of Young Guns, he actually had his newborn child was born and they actually played his stuntman, covered him for a, a couple of scenes, also with the scarf over his mouth and everything. You couldn't, you couldn't tell that it wasn't him. So um, I think he became very much a family man and he did all those voiceover period. And then you got the series of nine years of 24 he's, he's done, Designated Survivor, The Fugitive, he's done TV series for that. And as I mentioned earlier, Rabbit Hole, which is really good, actually. I really enjoyed that. But I noticed that he has got a film coming up. Uh, It's released on the 21st of July, and it's called They Cloned Tyrone, and it's with Jamie Foxx. And those two together, I think that becomes something quite special. So I think it's probably one to watch. Lou Diamond Phillips, he did La Bamba before this film was was played, um, before it was released. Uh, He played Richie Valens then, and he's done Courage Under Fire afterwards in 1996. But mostly, again, TV series, voiceovers for kids stuff as well, and some other adult TV series as well. Milo Estefez, he came across as the youngest, I would say, looked the youngest in the film. He's actually the oldest member of the cast when you look at their ages. And I didn't realise, I've always thought Milo Estevez was younger than Charlie Sheen, but it's the other way around. Yeah, he's done stuff with Disney, Mighty Ducks, Mission Impossible he's done in 1996. Um, he's also performed with his dad and obviously with his brother. And I always thought it's his half-brother, but it's not. It's, it's Martin Sheen took on his wife's name, I believe. And he was Martin, Est- uh, no, Ramon Estevez, I think his name was. And he changed his stage name to Martin Martin Sheen. And her name was Warren T- Templeton, but she changed her name to Sheen. And he told his son, Milo Estevez, his firstborn, don't change your name, my my name state, don't change your name. So he kept it, but Charlie Sheen took on the Sheen family name. So, yeah, they, they are brothers, they're not half-brothers. So I've always thought they were half-brothers. Anyway, uh, Mighty Ducks, Mission Impossible, Estevez, and then um, did a bit of West Wing with his dad, and The Way as well. And then you've got brother, Charlie Sheen, he did. I think he did all the serious stuff before Young Guns. He, I mean, he was in Wall Street, he did Platoon, obviously, and then Hot Shots and Three Musketeers are probably a little bit more serious, but everything else was sort of goofing around, really, I think, for for, for Charlie Sheen. So, yeah, I would say there's probably not much of a storyline, really, to this film. I think it plotted on occasions. 
and it's it's really showing Billy the Kid goofing around as well. So I'm going to give it probably seven out of ten from my side. I don't know about you, Rob. Yeah, I reckon seven out of ten purely for the brat pat factor. Mm, exactly. What a factoid! Okay. Did you know Tom Cruise was in the film? Was he? Yes. Where was he? Well, it's one of those blinking you miss, and I haven't gone back to watch. But apparently, mm-hmm. the fourth person shot when Charlie bursts outside the house shooting. I think this is in the climactic battle. Cruz happens to be on the set that day, so the director thought it'd be great to get him in the movie. So he dressed him as a soldier and filmed that final climactic battle. You'd have to go back and watch it. But anyway, there yeah. you go. Yeah, okay. Good, good uh, factoid there. On to the next one. Okay, so the newbie was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which, can you believe, it's five years ago that Into the Spider-Verse came out, which I just find frightening, quite frankly, how quickly time flies. Um, So this is directed by Joaquin DeSantos, Kemp Powers, Justin K. Thompson. So this is a brand new directing team one of the writers phil lord is on it uh two new writers christopher miller and dave callaham and we've got the same cast shamik moore Haley steinfeld brian terry uh, henry uh, so in brooklyn or as it's referred to earth 1610 so this is 16 months after the destruction of the collider the which we saw at the end of Into the Spider-Verse, we have Mars Morales, who is adapting to being our neighborly superhero. Uh, and when we first join Mars, it's really it picks up on that story of his relationship with his parents. He's that big older. He misses Gwen. He's 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 just a bit disconnected. And he's struggling to live up to his parents' expectations. Then he encounters this character called the Spot, who's a scientist whose body was infused with portals after the Collider explosion. And he blames Miles for his dilemma and reveals that while testing the Collider before its destruction, he actually transported the spider that bit Miles from another universe, which was called Earth-42. And he then accidentally transports himself into a void. This is the spot where he learns then how to travel to all these other universes, parallel universes, which contain the Collider. And so he then discovers, great, I can get hold of the Collider and use that to empower himself further. So he's like, if you like, the villain of the piece. Then we have Gwen who travels to Earth and basically reconnects with Miles um, while secretly tracking the spot across all these different dimensions. Miles follows Gwen after she opens a portal to Earth 50101, uh, where they team up with various Spider-Men from Spider Society HQ, led by Miguel O'Hara, played by Oscar Isaac. Um, And eventually they all team up to try and defeat the spot. But whilst there, Miles learns that all these different Spider-Men from all these different universes are effectively playing out a very similar narrative storyline, regardless of where they're from. And this really brings out this whole idea of these this kind of interconnectedness, if you like, um, and the significance of 
canon events, as they're called. In other words, don't mess with any timeline. So basically, Mars learns all about what the typical Spider-Man story is, which gives him this huge dilemma. Then it's really that whole usual kind of theme of like, you know, him having to redefine what it means to be a superhero, to be Spider-Man in order to save the lives of, of those most cherished to him and all the sacrifices and, as I say, dilemmas that that brings. So I, I, that's kind of it in a nutshell. So I won't go into any more detail. Yeah, and before I give any opinion, I'm going to fire straight over to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, um, this film, the first time round, I gave 10 out of 10, the Into Spider-Verse, and believe the animation pretty much lived up to the first one, if not better, actually. Every scene, I would say, is a piece of art. I would love to buy one of these cells and and stick it on my wall because they're just colourful, beautifully done. And the music was hip, I would say less memorable than the first. I think there were some really good tracks on the first Into Spider-Verse, but I shouldn't compare it really to the first one. I should consider it also as a standalone movie as well. But I did like the fact that we followed Miles Morales Growing up, I, mean, I would say he's probably similar age to my son today, a little bit sulky sort of teenager. He wants to be a bit more gangster, though, and really deep down, he's actually, he is a good boy. But he was struggling. His parents were struggling with him, how to control him, and he answered back and things like that. I don't have that issue with my son, but he was living in, in Brooklyn and going out on his own and, you know, discovering himself. And he was Spider-Man at the same time as well. So got all these secrets that he couldn't share with his, his necessarily with his parents. But he also had at the same time this, this love interest with Gwen Stacy. He, you know, she, I don't think she, did she know that she he liked her? I, I can't remember, but he had a crush on her. I, this is possibly the most inclusive film I've seen for a long, long time. And they can do that more easily with animation. They're covering all races, disabilities in there with basketball that you can see in the scenes when, when they were going through um, Brooklyn, you know, and so detailed in that space. And what I did also love is that when they went to the uh, the Spider Society HQ, they met with uh, an English puck rocker Spider-Man. They had a Korean martial arts Spider-Man. There was just and even a Lego Spider-Man. They threw it all in there. And they even had some live action shots with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. J.K. Simmons was in there as well. It was all this sort of older Spider-Man. I guess they couldn't put the latest Spider-Man in there. Maybe it was too much of a crossover. I'm not sure. But I think out of all the, the multiverses, I was disappointed when I saw Doctor Strange. And I think it worked for the last live filmed Spider-Man, but it doesn't work outside of that, I think. And I think the animated ones were the best. I think this is the best multiverse you can get and it works really well and they've really done a good job on it. I mean, the three directors that you mentioned earlier, they've got experience creating Avatar, the DC series, there's Soul as well, the producer, writer from One Night in Miami as well, the animator from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatball. So they've got a real good collector between the three of them. They've got a lot of experience in animation and, and having that, I would say, black culture as well, I would say, because that's Miles Morales. You can't escape that. It's, it is a, a young kid growing up in Brooklyn with a maybe slightly disadvantaged background, potentially, from a black community as well that they're they're looking at here even though they cover all the other bases when it comes to inclusivity and different cultures as well i wasn't expecting the end to be like how it was 
I like a bit of closure, to be honest, normally in my films, but we're looking at a part two here, everyone. But a few factoids also. It's, they had the largest number of animators working on this film. 1,000 animators worked on this, and they had 240 characters taking place in six universes. And as I said, they got the Lego version, was animated by a 14-year-old. They even hired a 14-year-old to get involved with this movie. And it's the longest animated movie to date, two hours, 20 minutes. They were supposed to have released it in April last year, but due to COVID, they moved it back to this month, this year. But the production wasn't finalised until 30 13 days before the US release. So they obviously needed the extra time as well anyway. I just love the fact that they can quite easily just go into these different worlds, but bring all different types of medium in this animation. So um, I'm going to have a think on what I'm going to give it whilst you give your review. Well, you gave it a very, very comprehensive review there. I mean, you reminded us at the end, two hours, 20 minutes. I was a little bit dubious about that running time when I went, especially the expectations I had. But I didn't really notice that time dragged at all. For me, this was just like into the Spider-Verse, but just on steroids. It was like everything (laughs) they did in that, they just did more of it, did it better. The animation has just been ramped up even further. As you said, the way in which they depict all the various different universes, like you say, from the Indian Spider-Man, which is just absolutely... Oh, was it Indian? I thought it was Korean. Are you right? I think it might be... It's it's Indian. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Sorry, apologies. Yeah. The fact that they're able to even include a Lego scene in there, the fact that they're able to, as you say, place live action into it when they show Toby Maguire, etc., you've got to get that spot on you know what i mean if you don't get that right and it doesn't feel like it fits it's just gonna seem gimmicky and that's what i just think is so amazing with it the spider-verse thing the multiverse thing doesn't feel like a gimmick it doesn't feel confusing bizarrely even though in this film it is relentless it's non-stop action it does breathe every now and again but nowhere near as much as in the first film i would say but mm. even with all that kind of chaos i'd say it's like an assault on the senses but probably in the very best way you never really lose track of the main storyline regardless of all these crazy spider-man characters regardless of what universe you're in you just tend to just kind of go with the ride and it works and i think i heard someone talk recently about the fact that it was only really once we got further into the live action Spider-Man films with Tobey Maguire that they really were able to nail you know those scenes of Spider-Man flying through the streets of New York on the webs as it were it took a while for them to really nail that and I think the beauty of animation is that they can directly like lift the comic and place it into a an animated action world and it kind of works they don't have that issue and i think it, it just feels like a very authentic way for me still and this is exactly the same with the first one that it's that, that great way in which they're almost lifting everything that you kind of see in comic books and it just it just works on the screen there were times where i was just like wow this is just non-stop there's humor coming at you there's amazing innovation uh, animation Like you say, any freeze frame is going to be beautiful, but it's almost like you you don't have time to stop and breathe and appreciate it. You're on. It's just onto the the next thing. No wonder I had so many animators on it. But in, in actual fact, having said all of that about how they nailed all of that stuff, for me, the the my favorite parts of it were the were the quieter moments. Mm. Because I think that's 
really ultimately where the film's strength is. If you don't care yeah. about Miles Morales, if you don't care about his world and the characters and this crush he has mm-hmm. on Gwen and his parents, that's not, that's not going to work. And the way they depict Brooklyn, the way they depict his issues, there's a scene in this when he's with Gwen in Brooklyn where they're sitting upside down. Upside down. Ledge, and, uh, and I was, I was and up, yeah, I did, you're like, I might have t- tilted my head I at one know. point. It's just so great the fact that they're upside down. The like, so the the artwork obviously is it's amazing, and it's just mm. I don't know. But at that point, you just feel like you're watching a drama that happens to be an animation. It's that good. Yeah. That the the, mm. the script's that good. Everything about it is that good. So I I loved it. It lived up to expectations. It's really interesting that you found the same quibble. I'm going to say just quibble, is mm. that I. Like you, I didn't feel the music was as strong as mm. in the first one. I mean, Sunflower mm. was that standout hit from the first one. You had What's Up Danger, which mm. was in the first one, which complemented the action scene so well. Bizarrely, What's Up Danger was in the trailer for this, but it never actually appeared in the film, not even in the credits. Uh, mm. Well, not the first few songs anyway. So if I had any criticism, and this is minor criticism, but still, for me at times it might have been too much coming at me, even though I appreciated Mm -hmm. it all. It didn't quite have that one or two killer tracks that may have elevated some of it a bit further, but hugely ambitious, and ultimately they pretty much nailed it. Yeah, I completely agree with exactly with that. And and I was hoping when I went in, I was hoping I'll come out with a really cool song that I, I was replaying afterwards, but it wasn't there. But yeah, I mean, I would love to get a piece of that art and put it on my wall yeah. because I think it's so impressive. Yeah, and I, was... I, and I love the fact that there was really strong female characters in this in this film as well. So not just Gwen, there was another character that was one of the the heroes. So really good. I'm going to give it a nine and a half just simply because I was lacking that piece and there was a lot coming at you. I feel I should have had a bit of Iron Brew or something beforehand. (laughs) Get into the spirit of it. But it's so well done. And, you know, even at nine and a half, it's just ah, that's been me being very, very picky there simply because the first one was very good. But I would say the animation is definitely better in this one. It's just... There's a lot going on. Yeah, I think we're completely on the same page with all of this. So I'm going to give it nine and a half for exactly the same reasons. Cool. Very good score. Do watch it, though. We have to go and watch it on the big screen as well as, I would say, it's probably more impressive than probably on your bog standard TV screen. So, yeah. Uh, next, we, yeah, we're going to got a new movie, which um, we're looking at, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is out on the 28th. 8th of June in cinema, so it's unusually a Wednesday we discovered, isn't it? Yeah, well, I guess, well, I mean, it's such a big release. Maybe they're, they're trying to get it in early in the week. I was just about to read the blurb on it, but is there any point? I mean, archaeologist Indiana Jones races against time to retrieve a legendary artifact that can change the course of history. I mean, can that pretty much be, be the same for every single film? That's sort of the thing I'm kind of intrigued about with this is obviously they've de-aged him, haven't they, for, for elements of the film. So <laughs> I'd be interested to see how how well that comes across on screen. He's 81. I looked him up. I was curious how old he is. He's 81 and he's still doing these bonkers stunts. I know that he's probably got a stunt double, but there'll be some stuff where he's running around and he's 81. Good on him. Keep going. Keep going. What? You mean you want more Indiana Jones? No, I just think if if he's got it in him, go keep going. Why not? I suppose so. 
I mean, I, I, I also kind of think, I don't know, there's got to be a point where you just got to hang up the hat, haven't you? Mm. Surely. This is his last one, isn't it? I, I think it's pretty much known that he's not yeah. doing another. He's not doing another one. And of course, you've got Phoebe Waller Bridge in this as well, haven't you? Who's obviously, well, I was going to say, she's this up and coming, amazing writer, actor, producer, God knows what else, but she's been around for a while now. Antona, Antonio Banderas, Toby Jones is in this. Toby Mads, Jones, yeah. Mads Mikkelsen. So. Yeah, it's going to be entertaining, that's for sure. Yeah, be good. So that's our new film out on the 28th of June. And then we've got, uh, I'm picking from your list this time. You're picking from my list. There's only two categories left. Yeah, so what was it? War and something Animation. Else. Do you just, just pick what you fancy? I'm gonna pick, I'll pick war. Let's pick war. Okay, so I've got seven on the list. Seven. I'll pick number five, please. Ooh. Number five is Hurt Locker. So this stars Jeremy Renner and Sidney Mackey's in this too, Guy Pearce. Uh, during the Iraq war, a sergeant recently assigned to an army bomb squad is put at odds with his squad mates due to his maverick way of handling his work. And this is Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. Um, so I don't have like loads and loads of war films. Like I said, I've only got seven, but yeah, I do. I do remember enjoying this one. You can watch it currently streaming on Amazon Prime, and you can rent and buy off most of the other on-demand platforms. There you go. Good stuff. Good, there good. we go. Well, next next week it has to be animation. So yeah, sure. make oh, sure gosh. make sure your animation list is oh, up to date. Yeah. I'm picking off yours. No problem. No problemo. So uh, it's a Sunday evening, back to work tomorrow. Oh, do you know um, what? Remember last time we were talking about the chippy? Yeah. I did come up, didn't I? I did. You go, did, and I, I did scared you, didn't I? You did. You scared the <laughs> life out of me. I wasn't expecting it. I, I, I was going to say I wasn't expecting you. God knows why. You told me you were going to be there. Uh, yeah. I think I booed at you. I went, boo! <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. jumped at you. You're scared. It was quite funny. Anyway, yes, we did have a chippy last time. Um, we had a lunch today because it is Father's Day today. So happy oh, Father's it? Day. I should have started with that, actually. I know, yeah. Uh, happy Father's Day. Um, I know we, our listeners will be listening a couple of weeks on now. But, uh, yeah, I went to uh, a restaurant for lunch. So I'm actually quite full. No tea for me tonight. Very nice. How about well, you? Well, Father's Day was... I mean, it was a subdued affair. Let's just say that the children were up very late and not much fanfare. But, you know, I'm used to that. And no, I spent a bit of time today doing some gardening, uh, tip run, classic dad errands. <laughs> and that that was about it. So it was a re- relatively relaxing day. We didn't have a big lunch. It was just spaghetti bolognese. I don't know. Sounds nice. Do you know what I should do? Do you know what I should do? Yeah. I was chatting to my son about this last night. There's been no whiskey in, in the house for about three months, which is very unlike me. And there's those times in the evening, just, you know, right at the end of the evening, oh, I could do, I could just have a little tipple now whilst I'm watching Extraction 2. Um, <laughs> and uh, do you know what? It's Father's Day. I, I've got to pop out. I've got to buy a bottle of whiskey. I've decided... There you go. Why not? A, tra- a treat Why not? to myself. Treat yourself. There, there you go. go. And I can sit down and watch the second half of Extraction 2 with a cheeky glass of whiskey. There you go. That's my <laughs> on the evening rocks. lined up. On the rocks. Get some course. ice as well. <laughs> right. Cool. Sounds lovely. Enjoy the rest of your evening. 
And I'm I sure will. your kids love you very, very much, by the way. Would so. you say, just need to remind them of that? That's all. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like my kids, I really had to remind them to sign the card. But, uh, That's exactly but, yeah. the same as mine. That's so funny. Uh, oh, but they're at an age, they just don't think, don't they? Exactly. But they were very excited this morning and came running in and wanting to give their daddy their gift. Oh, so. that's very nice. Very nice. Mm-hmm. On that lovely, tender, heartwarming uh, note, uh, <laughs> It's time to say goodbye. So thanks, everyone, for listening, as always. And we will uh, speak again in another two weeks. Will do, will do. Enjoy your whiskey. I will. See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.